0: Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I'm Erin, an intermediate school librarian, and today I'll be discussing The Only Black Girls in Town by Brandy Colbert.
1: I'm Darcy, also an intermediate librarian, and I'll be discussing The Light in Hidden
2: Places by Sharon Cameron. Hi, and I'm Mindy. I'm going to be talking about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett.
3: Hi, I'm Shirley. I'm a high school librarian. I'll be reading The Raging Ones by Krista and Becca Ritchie.
2: Hi, I'm Laura Gladney
4: Lemon, and I'm a high school librarian. I'll be reviewing You'll Be the Death of Me by
1: Karen M. McManus. All right, I'm going to go ahead and start this morning. I actually read this book. I think it was two months ago, but it has stuck with me. And last month I didn't get to talk with y'all and I totally missed y'all. So I thought I would bring this book to y'all to discuss and to enjoy. I hope that you all take a moment to read the book because it's really good. It's about you're gonna know, fill that historical fiction hole that we've had over oh the oh my last, gosh! So Do y'all know I'm just waiting on Ruta Sapetti's n- next book. Um, I must betray you. Anyway, like I'm waiting on my Follett order. I'm just like doo doo doo. Anyway, y'all know I love historical fiction. Okay, so this is the story of a young woman named Stefania Podgorska, and she's from Poland. She is one of nine children big family, uh, a big catholic family actually, which matters in this story. And at the age of 12, she convinces her mom to let her go into the city because they live on a rural farm in Poland and she convinces her her mother to let her go into the city to live with her older sister. And when she makes it to the city, she finds this family, the Diamants, and they are a family of Jewish, Jewish shopkeepers, and she starts working with them and they basically take her in. She becomes another one of the Diamant children. It's a very loving, caring environment. <clears throat> and this is all taking place in right around, uh, let me think, when she, I think she went there in like 39, 40, but in 1943, uh, the German army invades the city and the Diamants try to navigate all of the changes, but eventually, of course, they're forced into a ghetto there in the city. And Stefania, who's known as Fusia, Fusia in the story, um, she has to make a way to try to keep the store going for just a little bit. And uh, before, of course, it's also shut down. She goes back to her farm after a couple of weeks of trying to make it there in the city with the Diamants in, in the ghetto. And when she goes back to her farm, she finds her six-year-old sister, who she doesn't really know. She When she left, the sister, I think Helena, I believe it's her name, she was just a baby, basically. So she finds Helena abandoned in the family home.
3: She As a had been old?
1: yes. Oh, she had been given to a neighbor to care for, but that family at some point stopped caring. So Helena is there in the home, and. Of course, Fusia takes her back and realizes that there's nothing there at the family farm for her, right? She she can't escape what's going on. This Nazi invasion has basically obliterated both of her families. So she takes Helena back to the city with her and decides she's going to try to do the best she can from the city to help support the family by sneaking things into the ghetto, right? To, to help take care of them. When I tell you this story is like terror inducing moment after terror inducing moment it's it's absolutely incredible the most important thing that you need to know is that fuchsia takes on the responsibility of hiding and caring for it begins with i think two Jews and then that number skyrockets. It is unbelievable the number of people that she takes care of. And if I didn't know that it was a real based on a real story, I'd be like, "There's no way she could do all of that on her own." Like the strength and the resilience of this young woman is absolutely astounding. It's based on a real story, uh, Stefania Podgorska. I need to work on my Polish. Um, but um, Stefania, she survives, and we know, I mean, obviously we know she survives. We have this all of these stories, these interviews that she's done and the amazing thing is that Sharon she kind of internet stalks them finds and I don't want to tell you too much about what happens in the end uh, but she finds Stefania and she's able to meet with her and I'm going to read this little portion from the author's note at the end because when I got to this it made me rethink about everything that I had just read in the book. And it says the difference between the light and hidden places and Stefania's memoir is that I couldn't tell it all, not without writing a 1000 page book. And since real life is not a novel, time and order of events got some tweaking to suit a narrative structure. Peripheral, peripheral characters were sometimes combined into one. Gaps were filled, particularly where, where Steffi's emotions were concerned. But with the exceptions of Stefania getting her papers, we know she fudged the truth, getting her job, we know she slipped someone a bribe, and a punch to the nose of the one eyebrowed man, which I'm convinced she would have done if given the chance. Every incident in this novel is how Stefania and Joe described it. It is a reimagining of what was. And when I read that, I was like, golly, for, for all of those little pieces Uh, All of those events to have been real and to have really happened in the way that that was described is absolutely heart wrenching. And again, like the resiliency and it, you know, it reminds me whenever, you know, we're going through things and I'm like, this is so rough. And then I think about like World War II stories specifically, you know, I think Aaron and I, you we were talking about surviving this pandemic, right? And like how. Cushy it has been for a lot of us, really, like, oh, you have to stay in your house, but there's plenty of food, and even if you don't have food, you can have food delivered to your house. and um, maybe you can't go sit in a restaurant at the beginning of this, but you could definitely go into the restaurant and get food, you know, or they had drive throughs and I mean whatever, like, and we think about like, oh, how difficult it is and how difficult it is to come back, and we can tell the difference in our students what these people endured and, um, survived and then continued on after and thrived in a lot of ways is just absolutely incredible. I don't have another word for it. It is absolutely incredible. And to hear for this to be such, um, a true story, I highly recommend it. Like we are capable of so much more than we believe ourselves to be capable of fantastic story. Last week, our seventh grade English classes had a guest
0: speaker from the Holocaust Museum come Mm -hmm. in. And the focus of her talk was about resistors and rescuers. It was really fascinating. I really liked that she um, touched on that angle of it and focused on that. And, you know, some of the things that she brought up were that so many people say, oh, I would have helped and I would have done this because we know the outcome. Right. Yeah, and she said that always the the biggest part of determining if someone is going to be a helper in hard times is if they are helping people in easier times. Right. And I think that's maybe true if you look at anything historical including what we are living through right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean obviously very all different situations, but I love a good historical fiction novel especially whenever it can lead to looking up other information about mm-hmm. you know the actual person or the actual events and figuring out because I'm a I loved Irina's children you know Right was, yes she was a Polish nurse who mm-hmm. it's estimated that she rescued what like 2500 I don't know she had to throw her list away at some point you know yeah, it's incredible so.
1: You know, and I love that it is told from the perspective of a person who decided to help. And at one point she says the life of one for the life of 13 would have been worth it you know she would have done it again and again and and i mean the stress the incredible amount of stress that she and her little sister endured is i i mean helena was 6 when she went into the city and this little girl played a huge part too because everybody had to work together i mean think about the the amount of supplies you would have to have to you're already starving and then you have to feed all of these other people without anyone understanding or, or seeing that you're bringing food into your house and everybody is watching. Mm-hmm. there is There are no safe people. And the people that you think are safe, all they have to do, their family has to be threatened and that's it. It doesn't matter what relationship you've had with them. That safety is gone. Like they, they are going to give you up to save themselves and or their family. Absolutely. You know, like you, you have no idea who you can... Well, even somebody you can really trust at some point, if they're threatened, yeah. they're going to do what's best for them and their family, too. Absolutely. I, just, I can't even imagine trying to provide for the number of people that she did and th- the brilliant ways that she did it. And then y'all at some point the SS like nurses moved into her home they oh, were wow. in the home. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to give away too much, but like they were living in the house the next door neighbor is an SS officer, like everywhere she turned, she was, she and that whole family and every other person were at constant risk of being executed. And there's no trial. There's no like, well, let's, let's talk about why you felt you needed to do what you did. You know what I mean? Like it's done. You're dead. I have a couple of books um, that are from
4: defectors of North Korea Mm -hmm. and, you know, the stories that you're telling or, you know, what you're talking about right now is happening today in North Korea. Right. So if you cross the government, it's not just you that's going to go and get sent to jail. It's going to be your whole family Mm -hmm. Um, and people will be arrested indefinitely forever. And it's that whole idea of being able to turn person against person, friend against friend. And, you know, we like to think, Oh, that happened a long time ago, but it's happening now. Um, And so I always love it when people check out a book that, you know, a nonfiction book about what's going on in North Korea. And I think it's really important that we study this because it happens and Mm -hmm. it can happen. Thanks for bringing this book to my attention. You know, I definitely want to go and read it and think about it.
1: I looked back at the reviews and for the age right. And it says grades eight to 10. And and I'm thinking, I don't remember reading anything in there that I was like, oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, it's not language or anything like that. It must just be the atrocities that she sees firsthand that are of concern. Now, let's see. Kirkus says 13 to 18. Booklist, again, they said eight to 10. Uh, Publishers Weekly said ages 12 and up. And then Library Journal says nine and up. And again, I think that just has to be for the like the eyewitness of atrocities and the fear that she had and the things that were at stake constantly that were endangered constantly because she was also a young woman on her own, you know, in a location where there weren't people around to protect her.
3: I just looked anyway. it up on my
0: local public library and it is not available in ebook format. So I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can send you my copy. I, I might need to borrow that at some point. I definitely recommend it. And again, like, you know, you're, t- you're talking about North Korea. And I just read where, um, you know, we don't hear anything about North Korea. They do a, a fantastic job of keeping everything very secret and not letting. The outside world know what's going on, but uh, apparently they just shared a little bit of information about food scarcity in the country.
4: Like it was horrible a decade ago. I mean, people die of famine there.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Is it still? Is it still? Well, I mean, for the government to admit that they have food scarcity at this point—that's huge. Yeah. Like, it must be really bad. Is what I'm saying. So, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, it must be unmanageable is unten- tim- untenable up? <laughs> is that the right word there anyway um I love whenever I can't think of a good vocabulary word I think it's untenable anyway um but it's definitely unmanageable and there must be some serious stuff going down if um that leader is willing to admit that they might need help that's incredible <clears throat>
2: Mindy did you also read a historical fiction I did. It's called The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. And it takes place in uh, like 1950s. um, It's kind of when it starts. And it's about two twins, mostly. Um, One is Stella and one is Desiree. Um, They're both African-American. They're both black, um, but they're very light skinned. Um, And Stella is so light skinned that she can actually pass. So she can actually pass as white. And so they live in a town called Mallard, Louisiana. And that Town was founded by people um, who were all light skinned at the time. And the intention was to have a town for themselves and all be light skinned together. Like that was their own intention because they felt like they didn't fit in with either mm-hmm. race. So mm-hmm. they were of themselves. And so th- They grew up in that town, but they did not really love living there. So, eventually, they had dreamt of escape. Eventually, they did. In the middle of the night, there was a dance, um, and they felt like they could escape. So, they made a run for it, um, and they ran away when no one was looking, and they ran to New Orleans, just the two twins, and they like slept on the floor of a family friend, and then they worked all day, and they um, were not having the good life or anything, but Back at home, they were just cleaning houses anyway, so it wasn't that great at home, wasn't that great here in New Orleans, so at least they felt like they were on their own, right? One day, Desiree is the more kind of outgoing, fidgety type is the way they put it. She wakes up to find a note, um, and Stella is gone. She has left. she abandoned her twin she abandoned her twin she has left her and desiree has no idea what has happened the book skips around a lot to the point that i was like what who are we talking about now i'm so confused it jumps around people it jumps around times it jumps around places i if to me it might have been better if there was like a timeline And I was like, oh, it is now 1968. I understand. And now it Mm -hmm. is 1978. Oh, look at there. But that is not how it goes. It jumps around. Both twins end up having daughters. Desiree ends up in D.C. And she has a daughter who is as dark as dark can be. They end up having to run from D.C., an abusive husband. And so they end up back in Mallard in the city where Mm. everyone puts the lightness of their skin very high on um, their list of importance. And her name is Jude, and she is dark as night. They do not admire this in her um, the way other people in the world would. And so she has to grow up there in this town where no one really appreciates her beauty. Her mom just could not think of anywhere else to go except to go back home to her mom's house. And so um, she goes home. And she works in the local cafe. She lives in her mom's house. And it's just the three of those women, um, little Jude, her mom, Desiree, and their mom. I don't remember her name. I think they just call her mama. Anyway, but in the meantime, Stella is passing as white
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and has been with her boss. She ran away in New Orleans with her boss. And so her fear is that she is going to ever be found out. So when she is pregnant, she is so scared Mm. that that baby is going to show that she is not truly white as white. But her daughter's name is Kennedy and she is white as white and they grow up in a fancy neighborhood, and that little girl gets everything she could ever want. It's about how all of these women grow up and intertwine and find out about each other, and how do they learn about who they are and what they could become. Desiree does end up with a man who is interested in her and he what is he gonna do how to how is he going to you know react to being in this town when uh desiree is living with her mother and um stays living with her mother and has a boyfriend like what's a boyfriend gonna do stay with the mother like, what's that going to be? What um, happens? So, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? So, um, all of that interacts together. So, it's definitely like character driven. Um, like I said, it's a little confusing in time zones, and they all do meet up in different places and times. And um, there is, uh, Jude does go to uh, school and meets someone, and they are uh, transgendered, and are saving money for top surgery. So there is that line also in the book, um, where they are both saving up money, so that Reese can have the surgery that they want.
0: So I just looked it up, and apparently it was named a best book of 2020 by like New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, People, Time, Vanity Fair, (laughs) Anger. I know. And Barack Obama said it was one of his favorite books of the year. And it's a New York Times bestseller. And it's a 2021 Women's Prize finalist.
2: Like, wow. That book has a lot of accolades. (laughs) Um, It is registered as like adult. So I would not put this in intermediate for sure. Sure. Um, But. I I didn't find anything in it that made me question if it should be in my school. And it's already in my school.
1: I knew it was going to happen in Louisiana after you had the name Stella and Desiree. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, streetcar named Desiree. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, immediately I was like, where is Mallard? Is it in the northern half or the southern half? Because that makes a difference. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. They were near the water. Mm -hmm. Went to New Orleans.
1: Which in Louisiana is everywhere. Everywhere. So I did enjoy (laughs) it.
2: It was a little confusing with the different times and people, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it was
3: good. It was a good read. It sounds really good. Yeah, I do think you would like it. You think I would like it? I do. Well, today I have The Raging Ones, which is written by Krista and Becca Ritchie. And it's a science fiction story. And this story is set on a planet, which is a a frozen planet, snow and ice all the time. They don't have seasons at all. It's just cold. And what's unique about this planet is that everyone knows their death date. <sighs> so so when they're born, they have some kind of technology where they prick the, student, the baby's heel and it gives them the day that person will die. So from the time you're very little, you always know what your death date is. And all, all by itself, that's enough to make me think, for days <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean, what i want to know what i not want to know what happens if you know what you what, know, if you... <laughs> well, yes, what if it's wrong yes right so um so that you know that intrigued me right away and so we're first introduced to this world and there's because everybody knows their death dates there's sort of a caste system um, that i don't know if it naturally happened or if it was put in place but there are you know there's the ones they called babes and those are the people who die before they're 11 years old. There are the fast trackers and the fast trackers always die before they're 29 years old. Mm. And then there are the influentials who are the ones who have longer lives. Past twenty-nine, I know. I was like, dang. Right. Past 29. We're influential ladies. Right. Yes. Mm. <laughs> but, and in this world, actually, some people live to be over a hundred years old. So it's, you know, they have, they do have longevity for the influentials anyway. So that's interesting. So we're introduced to these three cast levels and then we meet Franny and Franny is one of three main characters and Franny is a fast tracker. So she knows her death date and it's approaching and we learn a lot about fast trackers they live fast and hard as a as a as a group they do drugs they have sex they do all the things that you know they say don't do because they have short lives and they're going to live it to their fullest they go and jump off mountains into rivers and you know all this risky stuff and actually that's true for a lot of society because since you know your death date, you know you yeah. could go do these dangerous things and you're not going to die. Um, now, you can be maimed and injured. So, you know, there's that. There's something That's to the think problem. about. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're not going to die. And so there's, there's Franny and she's approaching her death day. And in this culture, deaths are celebrated. There's not sorrow. So like Franny describes her mother's death. Her mother was a fast tracker who elected to adopt her. Mm. And then when Franny was seven, her mother died, but she knew her mother was going to die. She had this, it's, it's the government gives them like a special allotment of money a few days before their death and they get to do what they want with that money. And so everybody has this plan about, for their death i'm gonna go do this and it's gonna be so wonderful and everybody's happy and they you know they're like oh have fun you know well it was nice knowing you whatever but nobody's (laughs) nobody's sad okay (laughs) so the standard is my mother died and i'm sick when i was six but it was beautiful Mm. okay so there's no remorse whatsoever it's everybody knows when they're gonna die and you're gonna live your best life until that moment so franny's death date is approaching and she's like, I'm going to get this money that they give me and I'm going to go to this fancy schmancy hotel That because she's, you know, in the lower caste, She has no money. She has no parents. You know, <laughs> she has nobody helping her. Uh, and so she says, I'm going to go to this fancy schmancy hotel. I'm going to spend my last night in a bubble bath with fancy pillows and all that stuff. But they didn't they don't give her the money. Dang right and i won't get into why not but that's the short story they don't give her the money they won't give her the money and so she ends up in an alley high Mm -hmm. in the cold convinced that she's just going to go to sleep in the alley and die her death Uh, alone alone yeah alone and then these other fast trackers come up and they start stealing her clothes Oh. And she's resisting them. She's high, remember, you know, sure. so she's trying to resist, but she's not doing a very good job. And they're stealing her clothes, and she's got all this stress. Okay. So then they cut away from her in the middle of all that to introduce you to two other characters, Court and Michael. Um, Court is an influential. However, he did something that got him sent to their their uh, version of jail for five months. And when you're a jail, when you're someone who's been in jail, your last name reflects that. your Your last name is Ice Castle, no matter what your you were before. So Court never tells people his last name. And he's he escaped from prison. That's all we know. We don't know anything about him for the longest time in the book. We only know it's mysterious. Uh, that he he was sent to jail and we don't know why. And he was a child when it happened. And all this, he's also uh, he's an influential.
0: Seems like it'd be really easy to get caught escaping jail if your last name reflects the fact that you've been there.
3: Well, it's not until you leave. And then you oh, just don't okay. tell, and then you don't tell people. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. You know he didn't I mean? get
1: processed yeah. out.
3: Not right. right. Yeah. 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 Right. So and then there's Michael who And, and Court is super smart. And um, Michael is an outlander who has been living in the wild. He found Court after he escaped from prison and saved his life. And so they're buddies. They're good friends. They have a great relationship. They live together in the same apartment, little tiny apartment thing. And we learn that they have a mental link and it's not that they can talk to each other, but they feel each other's emotions Mm -hmm. and understand each other completely because they know all the emotions at all the times, which can be good and bad. Right. So we learn that they have a link. And then all of a sudden, their brains explode because they have this other they can feel someone else Oh, and that someone else is in great duress and so they're running through the city trying to find the person they can feel and of course it turns out to be Franny, Franny. right and they save franny and they take her into the hotel with the fancy schmancy one through a back door and they get her into a hotel room and they warm her up and and all that stuff well as it turns out all three in the morning she's still alive hmm.
1: and all three. that's why them- she didn't get her money <laughs>
3: go ahead <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> and all three of them have mysteriously lived past their death days and they realize of course that if anybody figures out they live past their death days you know they're going to kill them because mm-hmm. it's like you're not allowed to do that that's a thing you know <laughs> so the novel is really spent with the three the three of them trying to live in hiding and trying to figure out how to save themselves so that they can go on living their life and also especially franny is losing her mind with panic attacks because now she doesn't know what day she's going to die and the boys don't either, but they've had much longer to deal with this, you know, than she has. And she's losing, you know, she's hyperventilating and panic attacks and all the rest because for the first time in her life, she doesn't know when she's going to die. And then she sees danger in everything that she does. Um. So there's so there's this whole sort of side story going on while she's trying to deal with the fact that she doesn't know when she's going to die anymore. And she lived past her dead date. But anyway, the story's really good. And I really, I was reading it going, I love this book. I love this book. I love this book. And then I got to the end and Uh-oh. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. And I started going to the internet and reading people's reviews and trying to figure uh-huh. out what the heck you know, was that about the very ending. And then I figure out, eventually, it took me a while, and you'd think I would have been faster at figuring this out. There's a book, too. Oh, of yes, yes. Of and, course. And I didn't know there was a book, too. I didn't mm-hmm. have it in my library. I didn't mm-hmm. have it marked as a series book, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, do I have it? No, I don't have it. Man, I have to order it right now. And I ordered it from Amazon and read the second book immediately because the <laughs> the ending of the first book upset me unbelievably. And so uh I'm just saying if you're gonna read this book, make sure you have book two hand ready to give <laughs> yes. it on standby. Yes. Is it a duology or a trilogy? Do two, two. It's a duology. Okay. I thought that way
1: at the end of Uglies. Like, I threw the book because it just left you, like, and I was like, (laughs) shut up. Like, I legitimately threw it across my apartment. I was like, was mad. But then I went and got the second one.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, this one, you know, it's all the big climax and all that stuff. And then it just ends. But it feels like it could be the ending. Right. Right. And you just aren't sure whether you just missed something or you, oh, you know. yeah. then you're like reading, so, be, rereading like, the last I five I did. Days. I went back. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so it took me a, a bit to figure out, oh, I'm just a dummy. It has two books, but, um, I it, do it like it that. Was, you had to get online to like
0: justify your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like
3: someone had to agree with me yeah, like, or also Whoa. did somebody figure it out and I didn't like what happened? <laughs> yeah. That's what I would thought. Maybe it was beyond me, you know, or something. I wasn't smart enough. Um, here's an interesting side note. Um, you know, it ha- there's a girl and two boys, right? So immediately you think it's gonna be a trope and they're gonna it's gonna be that love triangle and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. And it's refreshing. Oh, you know? that is nice. That is, yeah. nice. That is yeah. nice. And um, and then they, you know, there's lots of talk about this relationship between the three of them and mm-hmm. the emotions that they share and how they can read each other and when they shouldn't. You know, like, for instance, when they're taking a shower, I shouldn't be really feeling when Franny is washing her private places, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, But and then afterwards, I realized when I was reading about the authors that that it was written by twins. Twins. Oh, that's cool. And I thought, "Hmm." I was wondering what the relationship was when you read (laughs) their names. Yeah, they're identical twins. And, uh, you know, you got to make, you got to wonder a little bit when they're talking about this intimate relationship Mm -hmm. emotionally that they have, if there's anything like that going on in their lives. So since I was very young, I've known
1: that I'm going to die at 88. Oh, I want you to know how many times this has come in handy. Okay. (laughs) When I'm like scared about something, you know what? I I still have... I'm not dying till I'm 88, so this is fine. This is going to work out. and I'm You might be, be maimed, okay. though. I could be maimed. That is always on, on the table. Yeah. But not your dad. On, what, somewhere, But not dead. I won't be dead. So if y'all
4: could find out your death date, would you find out? Like, would you want to know?
3: Sure. Mm-hmm. Give yeah. it to me. I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I would know.
0: I wondered that the whole time I read the book when. Cause that's, you know, the girl oh, can yeah. see on people's foreheads, the date they're going to die. And it's like, hmm, uh-huh.
1: would you? y'all as a person that knows her death date, I'm telling you it's refreshing. It's, it is it's refreshing. To, you know, you're like, Shh, I got time. This is going to work out. <laughs> like we're
4: good. See, I feel like I live my life to the fullest because I'm not sure.
1: You yeah, know? You, like, do. you
4: do. I definitely, and I, I know it's a psychological thing, me burning my candle at both ends is because, you, do, girl. you know, my brother died at 21. My dad died at 59. You know, my uncle died at 43. You know, I, I really try not to think that I have like not take it for granted, you know? Yeah. But I think I also miss things in my fury of living, not fury as and anger, but my Busyness of living. I miss things. Does that make sense? Like, yes. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Um, What's
2: the Adam Severa book? The, they both they, die. They both the die at the end. Yeah. That's similar to they find out that day.
1: Yeah. When they Shirley have a whole said, day. I was like, I think I've read a book like that. But I think there are a couple of books like that. But yeah. I think it's interesting to look at that idea and to think about it. And then people that, that miss that date. That's really interesting. Well,
4: in Matched, everyone died when they were 80, right? So everybody had the exact amount of time at age 80 because they had gotten rid. Do y'all remember this in Match? They'd gotten rid of like all illness and on your 80th birthday, they gave you a pill. You had to take the pill. You died on your 80th birthday. So that's another interesting concept too, right? Like with equal amounts of time, how do people choose to spend it?
0: Binge watching (laughs) Netflix.
4: No chilling. No chilling. (laughs) No, none of that.
0: Well, Mindy, I kind of, while you were talking about your book, almost wish that I had gone after you, uh, because there are some common threads that maybe run through my book and yours, even though mine's not historical fiction. But then I started thinking about it and I thought, well, actually, some of those things I can't say because that gives away Mm. too much Mm. of the book. So I read The Only Black Girls in Town by Brandy Colbert. I will start off by saying this is her middle grade debut. She also is the author of Little and Lion, which I did not love. And I wanted to love it. And I had heard great things about it but I just didn't love it. And so I wanted to read this one thinking that, you know, sometimes when authors write for different audiences, like different ages of audiences, sometimes they do a better job at one or the other, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I like this one. It's definitely a middle school book though. Like you could not get a high schooler to read it, it's about seventh grade girls and the cover looks middle school, but it doesn't look too elementary. So that makes me happy. It's kind of like the perfect. I like school. the cover. Yeah, yeah I, I do, like too. It's kind of like whoever did that needs to continue designing middle grades book covers mm-hmm. because be good. they did a good job. The only black girls in town mostly follows a main character named Alberta. And she lives with her dads in this really small little beach town. And she has always been the only black girl in her class. All of her classmates is white are, are white. There are people that have said things to her, her whole life. Like we don't see you as black and things like that, that she's kind of learned I guess the the polite and expected way to um respond to that. She lives across the street from a bed and breakfast where the old owner has passed away and somebody new has finally bought the B&B and is going to be reopening it and moving in. And she finds out that not only is the family that's moving in, um, they have a 12 year old daughter, but this is also a black family. So she's really excited because she's finally not going to be the only black girl in her class. But as one of her dads tells her skin folk doesn't make you kin folk and that she doesn't need to get too excited at first. She's like, what if you have nothing in common? What if she's like, still, it doesn't matter that we do have at least one thing in common So uh, when the new family is starting to unpack, uh, they go over and meet them. And we meet Edie, who is the new girl and Edie and Alberta couldn't look any more different. Um, Alberta is very like she has her swimsuit on underneath her overalls every day because she loves surfing, you know, and Edie is very combat boots, all black, black lipstick, black nails like that's her. Uh, But Turns out they end up actually having a lot in common and becoming friends. And there's a lot of things that go on with the story between Alberta and her older, her oldest friends and her sort of branching out and becoming friends with some of the girls that have been mean to them over time. And then Alberta sort of latching on with Edie and becoming her friend. And one of those situations where sometimes when you start growing apart as friends, but you're both hurting each other's feelings and maybe you don't realize it. Yeah. Um, there's also a little bit of a mystery to it because the girls or Edie discovers these journals that are in the attic of the B&B and they start reading them thinking that there's something, more to it than that, that there's this person's story that they really need to give out. And so they make it their mission to read these journals that were written by a person that they're They don't know if this is a person that's lived in their ocean town or how these got to the B&B, but they want to figure out who this person is. Is she still alive? What's her story? And that's a little bit of related to Mindy's book, but I don't want to say too much about it. I really did like it, though. It was a page turner. It touched on so many things you know, it it touched on friendship, especially things that you go through in middle grades. It did touch on racism and colorism and people saying things that they don't realize are inappropriate. Yes, And yeah, I I think she did a really great job with this story. And it's definitely a book that I can very easily put in the hands of a lot of my different kids who are going to you know, it's going to be a, they're going to have a different takeaway regardless of depending on who they are, their own life experiences and what kind of reader they are. So I liked it. I thought it was good. Very middle grades book though.
1: Well, I can't keep it on my shelf. It's very popular. I think the title, uh, catches people's eye and I think the cover catches people's eye as well. So I walked into a class the other day to talk with a teacher and I saw, um, one of my students had it on her desktop and I was like, do you like, she's like I love it which is great and every kid that I've had that's read it has come back and I always try to ask kids when they're dropping a book off hey did you like it was that you know your style whatever and every kid that I've caught with that book has enjoyed it
0: it's come in and out pretty frequently and I think that's one of those things that I think about like there's another book that I have that I haven't gotten to read yet and it comes in and out frequently so that's when my brain is always like do people like this and they're just finishing it? Like, they're like, oh, I can't put this down and I need to keep mm-hmm. reading it. Or are they checking it out? They hate it. And then they return it. <laughs> like, right. when things come in and out every couple of days, it makes me sit back and wonder like, hmm, what's happening? Finish it. it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Kids are so funny because they'll bring it back. I'm like, did you like it? They're like, yeah, it's good. And I was like, did you finish it? And they're like, no. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> like, well, I read the first 150 pages. It's good do you want to renew it
0: Eh. (laughs) don't need that resolution at the end just i'm better off not knowing to wrap it up it's (laughs) fine i'll wait
1: till next season (laughs) (laughs) well if another book comes out i guess i'll finish this one no that's not how it works you're supposed to be at the end looking at the ending did i miss something no Yeah. (laughs) If you
0: really liked it, deep dive, like Shirley getting online and finding out (laughs) other things about her book. So... But I really liked it. Mine did have a little bit of a mystery aspect to it. I wouldn't call it a mystery, but there is a little bit of a mystery involved in it. But Laura, you do have a mystery for us. I today,
4: do have a mystery. I have Karen M. McManus's newest book, You'll Be the Death of Me. I think I've reviewed some books uh, of hers before. Yeah. I'm definitely a fan of hers. Um, So this book gets a 3.83 star review on Goodreads. on a 4.0 scale or on a
1: five.
4: So the scale that I tell my students to go by is if they're interested in a book and it's at least a 3.75, they should like consider it. If they're interested in the book and it's at least a four, they should probably check it out. And if it's a topic or, you know, a book they're interested in and it's a 4.25 or above, you need to immediately get that book and start reading it.
0: Well, when so you that, hover over the stars in Goodreads, I love that it says like on five stars, it means like, I loved it. And four stars means I really liked it. And three stars went, I liked it. And two is like, <laughs> it was okay. Like it gives you wording to go with the number of stars. And I think, cause sometimes I'm like, but I don't want to give it three. That's not very good. But three is like, Yeah, I liked it. (laughs) Right. And that formula, I've been using that
4: formula uh, to teach students uh, about, you know, whether they should pick up a book or not for some years. And I use it myself, it's pretty successful. So it was above uh, my 3.75 threshold uh, because I do know that I like this author and I do like mysteries. Um, So basically the story here is there's a girl named Ivy who turns out to be kind of a miserable person, but she has just lost the student council election to bony mahoney the (laughs) class clown and she's devastated and i feel that in a real and true way because i also lost a like um, my class president election one year and it hurt i mean you're not supposed to let it hurt but it hurt so i was already, you know, really, I understood where Ivy was going. And it was the day that good old Boney was going to make his acceptance speech in front of the whole school. And she's parked and she's going into school and she runs into her formerly really good friend, Mateo. And he's, you know, just having a rough time with things because he's working two jobs and he's got to help try to support his family because his family's bowling alley went out of business like a year or so previously due to a lawsuit. You know, Ivy's like, I don't really want to go to school. And Mateo's like, I could use a break. And so they decide that they're going to ditch as they're ditching, um, are about to leave the parking lot. They run into Cal who used to be the third person in their little friend trio before they started high school. And they're like, Hey, we're going to go ditch today. Do you want to ditch? Now these aren't the kind of kids who usually ditch. This is like, um, you know, probably maybe the first time they've ditched and they concoct a plan to call and get excused so the school doesn't call their parents and they're off on their Ferris Bueller's day off situation. Mm -hmm. Except it doesn't stay Ferris Bueller's day off very long because they run into, they see Boney Mahoney, lo and behold, not going to school, which is kind of weird because he's supposed to be there giving his acceptance speech. So they're like going to follow him. Well, they follow him into this like art studio and they see him get killed. No. Yeah. Then, so like they're trying to get out of there. And I can't tell you too much, like more into that, but Ivy's blonde so she was there, she did she wasn't murdering this person, but the person, some witness, saw a blonde girl leaving the studio. So when
1: mm, Ivy's not at school, right,
4: Bony ends up dead, social media lights up, you know, because that now there's the rumor there's a blonde haired girl, person of interest. Social media is lit up that Ivy has killed Boney. So that sets the stage for them having to figure out this murder, but they can't really go directly to the police because they were there and they shouldn't have been there. And how believable are a group of three people, you know, I mean, she does have the perfect reason to kill him, I guess, I mean, all those good motive. Yeah. Yeah. She's got the motive. So, you know, they're now off on a mission to figure out why Boney was in this random art studio, why he got killed. And it was a really interesting story. Lots of secrets come out, lots of dynamics. And if this book has a thesis, which (laughs) I don't know if she meant for it to have a thesis, but- (laughs) Uh I'm going to give it one and that is split second decisions can really mess you up. Um so make good split second decisions and <laughs> See, this is
1: why you should know the day that you're going to
4: die. Oh, yeah. Or you know? and the day that other people are going to die so you can maybe like not be around them. Anyway, it was <laughs> a you know a thumbs up. It was a good read. It was um something a high schooler would enjoy. I enjoyed it. Um It it was a good book. I recommend it. It wasn't anything that's gonna change anybody's worldview or perspective (laughs) about anything, except for maybe they will reconsider some of their split second bad decisions because you do see, and not just the skipping. I mean, there were some other split second bad decisions that got brought back around into the story and you really got to see some long-term real effects in people's lives with people just making quick, bad decisions, which I think we all do. Right. Like, you know, out of jealousy or anger, you know, whatever, um, just not being our best selves. And then this book did show how those make a ripple past what, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and really do have an impact. Again, I don't know that that was necessarily her thesis, but I'm, I'm going to give it a thesis. I'm going to give her credit for it. I liked it. Thumbs up.
0: She's reason. really good at working in a lot of characters who might have motive to kill whoever she offed in <laughs> right. the book. Right. Um, Cause she's going to off at least a person. Right. Um, and then as a person who is pretty good, usually at guessing things that are going to happen, she does still keep me wondering. Um, so I, I feel like Bravo. McMahon, yeah. I would say
4: you, probably wouldn't have this all figured out till the end. And I did like, I I think I can say without giving too much away, this story, like drugs are a center part of the story. Not necessarily anybody in the immediate story is using drugs, but that is a lot of why things that are going down went down. So I appreciate it because I appreciated a story where drugs were central, but it wasn't that they were glamorized. It was that it showed that the ripple effects of what drugs create in a community,
1: you know? Yeah. Y'all, when we listen to the radio in the car, I'm like, and who's this? And my girls are like, Michael Jackson. And how did he die? Drugs. (laughs) And who's this? Tom Petty. And how did he die drugs and who's like every (laughs) song that comes on? My kids are like drugs, it's drugs. (laughs) And I'll be like, we you know, we listen to Wham or whatever. And I'm like, right. And who's the lead singer? And how did he die? And I'm like, but remember. It wasn't he wasn't doing drugs at that moment. He had already done so many drugs that his body was weakened. And then he died. And they're like, okay, got it. Anyway, I want to read your book, too, because I love a good mystery and it sounds pretty compelling. It was good. It's
4: a 3.83 star, maybe a little bit better.
1: I I also think that when people have jacked up names and then they die, I'm like, yeah, that's because your name was Boney. (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean yeah
4: <laughs> he had it coming right just kidding all the bones in the
1: world i mean that's why i think it's you need to really take your time when you're going to name your child like are you putting them it risk? was a nickname though. i know i know it. i mean obviously bony mahoney right
4: they explained <laughs> how he got the nickname in the book but it just wasn't super com- like exciting that i couldn't remember all the details but it was explained
1: well you never know with nicknames could be rough. That's true. Like bony. All right. Well, sounds like we got some more good books.
2: What was the name of yours, Mindy? The Vanishing Half by the brit Vanishing. Bennett.
1: Okay. Because I do, obviously, I mean, it is a historical fiction. So I'm going to have yes, to give that it one a try.
0: It is currently available through the public library on ebook, too.
1: I'm also reading right now, I'm reading a book that I borrowed from uh, GL, Man's Search for Meaning, because I was listening to an interview with Ruta Sepetis and some other historical fiction writers, and all of them had read it, and they were all talking about it. And uh, I was like, well, I need to give that a try too. This is from a man born, Victor Frankl. He was born in Vienna and he survived um, the Holocaust. And he was a, I think a psychologist. I haven't gotten into all of it, but uh, I believe he was a psychologist and he continued to practice after um, surviving. Um, so imagine the perspective of a psychologist there in a concentration camp. And he's said, basically, you can look at someone and know if they're going to survive and the day that it changes, like the look. No, so it's wow. not like a physical thing. It's it's what's what they're giving off in their face from what I understand. So I'm interested in reading this and then finding out what all they have to say or what all he has to say, I should say. All right, y'all. Well, this was another great one. I really enjoyed talking with y'all and I can't wait to do it again next month. See all right. y'all later yeah.
3: Bye.